0: Welcome back, dear travellers, to another lovely evening together. An evening of sharing and reflecting, but more importantly, an evening of acknowledging. Acknowledging that the dark can only ever get as close as we let it. So hold the line, leave that light on. And if you have to huddle by a candle to get through the night, don't let it go out. The dark has, admittedly, never been my friend. For as long as I can remember, I've been terrified of it. To the point where I would not get up to use the bathroom at night. Because I was certain that a monster would get me. I would always beat myself up about this fear, I still do, but every time I'm reminded of the night I dared to rise above my fear. I was at my great grandparents' farm. They used to live in the mountains, had a very cute cottage sort of farmhouse. Downhill was the flower farm. Uphill was a large fence and the regular assorted vegetable farm. Then on one side were the animals, our outhouse, and rolling forested hills. And the other side was a bit of a stretch and the home of a relative. I had woken up in the middle of the night needing to use the bathroom, and I certainly wasn't going to go out by myself. We were living in a genuine forest on a mountain. We had bears and wolves on bad days, and foxes stealing our chickens every night. And when it came to walking out the front door into the pitch black, well, there was safety in numbers. I nudged my aunt, who was asleep beside me, and asked her to come outside with me. She grabbed the oil lamp, as there was no electricity up there, and we stepped outside. We had been walking towards the outhouse when suddenly she grabbed my sleeve. You can't go back there, she said. I was tired, and I didn't care. We're in the middle of nowhere, so I popped a squat and did my business in the grass right where I stood. My aunt was in front of me and I noticed she was holding out the oil lamp. I could hear her breathing quicken. I could hear the short, shallow gasps of terror. She wasn't moving. Coco? I say as I stand up and turn to look at what she was looking at. In my folklore, we have a creature called Vurkolak. We're raised on our folklore. So when I looked at what my aunt was looking at, oh, I knew it was that. I knew it was a werewolf. I get so angry when I recall this memory because I felt embarrassed, somehow mocked. It was standing on its hind legs, taller than any man I'd ever seen and had its arms over the fence. I could see its bright red eyes. I couldn't see much other than that. The shape of the head, the upturned ears on top, the canine snout. I could make out these shapes in the dark, but as I strained to see more of this creature I realized that right beside it was another pair of red eyes. Another wolf, leaning on the fence, watching. And I looked towards the outhouse, and along the fence I saw more red eyes. We were staring at each other, and it was a goddamn joke. They could have mauled us to death before we could blink. They could have ripped us to shreds. And instead, they were leaning up against the fence like it was a casual afternoon break. Like they were missing their cappuccino and cigarette. We're going to go inside, slowly, said my aunt without looking away from them. I slowly sidestepped to match her pace. We had to cross the whole front lawn to get back to the door, and the slower we moved, the more they... The best word I have is leer, but it's so strange to associate that with a wolf. But as we backed up, I could see some jaws slowly slack open to reveal white, sharp teeth. It felt like these creatures were leaning further and further over the fence. Not quite climbing, but pushing its limits just to hold the terror they had over us. Once we bolted inside, we made sure the door was locked. The windows were locked. We drew the curtains, but we could still see the red eyes glowing in the distance. They never did step foot on our property. Any time I mentioned what happened that night, I was faced with some ridicule from the family. And it went on for so many years that I got to the point of accepting it. Until recently, just a few months ago in fact, I learned that my father also saw them. He never talked about it as he grew older and I can't blame him. I've seen those creatures twice in the very short time that I spent at that farm, so I know that they're in our forests. And I know I didn't imagine any of it. And neither did you, dear travelers. The whispers in the night, the door creaking open, you are not imagining it. But I can help you. I can be your guide this evening. Let my voice be your sanctuary as we prepare to hear from Charles on this week's episode, The Pale One. Brace yourselves, dear travelers. Your descent into darkness begins now. My name is Charles, and I'm writing this because I feel like I'm losing my mind. I want it said out loud because I need it said out loud. I need to know whether I'm insane or I'm experiencing something. I'm seeing something. Or someone I don't know. It follows everywhere I go, but mostly it comes out at night. The best way I can describe it is that it's a tall shell of a person. An impossibly slender thing with sagging, pale skin, but no male or female features. The insanity, the kicker, is that I remember it. That's why I'm writing this. I remember the first time I've ever seen this thing, I was a kid. Hell, if I remember what age, but I know I was a kid. The printed wallpaper and short beds kind of age. I was a very sickly kid. I got pneumonia twice in the same year. Awful nosebleeds, skin rashes, the goddamn sun would burn my skin. I didn't have a fun time as a kid. And the worst were the nightmares, which would compound an already difficult situation. Nightmares. Lack of sleep. Feel sick. Don't sleep. Feel even sicker. Sleep. Nightmares. Repeat. These nightmares are where I first saw it. That's ridiculous. I don't mean to be self-deprecating, but Jesus Christ, that's insane to say out loud. These nightmares always had the same pattern. I would find myself somewhere. Mind you, places I may not have ever gone to because I was so young, but I would find myself in a theater, or in the halls of a university, in underground tunnels in strange homes. There was never any context to it. I can best describe it as I would wake up in this dream, and in this strange place knowing that I do not know it and knowing that I am dreaming. It took me some time to figure it out, but once I did, I knew that in that moment of awareness, in that moment of me waking up in the dream, I was about to be hunted. It was time to run and hide. That's exactly what I did. I would run through whatever building I woke up in, and I would hide. And when it passed me, I would get out and run again, and hide again. This tall, skinny, saggy thing would hunt me. And the only way to wake up was to let it get me, but I was so scared. It would rip doors off the walls. It would throw furniture through rooms like it weighed nothing. It would tear me to shreds like I was spaghetti. I kept getting sicker. I was struggling to eat. I was so weak. My great auntie moved in with us for a little while at this time. My mom and dad had to work and they couldn't afford a caretaker, so she became my caretaker. Great auntie Clara was what my daughters say, woo-woo. Clara never married. Never even had a boyfriend, as far as anyone knew. She was a witch. Dancing naked in the moonlight, herbal blends for every equinox, tarot-slinging, throat-singing witch. And she was my savior. She'd been living with us for a few weeks, and already there was a dish of milk and honey on my windowsill an assortment of crystals under my mattress. She was fully ingrained into my life. We were playing some sort of game one day, or doing an assignment. I have no clue, but I remember her just stopping. Clara just stopped, and the whole world froze around her, and it was the most curious thing. She leaned in and kissed the top of my head and clearly but softly told me not to give the creature power, not to acknowledge it, and not to look at it. I went through a few more nightmare cycles, and it didn't feel like anything was coming out of it. Even if I pretended this thing wasn't there and I hid or didn't hide, it still ended the same way. And more importantly, I could feel the satisfaction it was getting from this. So Clara hung herbs above my doorway and above my window, sprinkled salt and burned herb bundles to smoke out the room. It worked. This tiny thing was so adamant about helping me, she kept trying day after day, and it worked. My nightmares slowed down until one day they just went away. My health started to improve slowly but surely. And next thing anyone knew, I was a rowdy 15-year-old smoking weed in parking lots and riding on top of cars. I was a happy kid. Maybe some misplaced energy. And definitely some childhood trauma that puberty was making worse, but for the most part, I was a happy kid. Finally, getting to do teenage boy things. My great-aunt was still living with us. She was living in the basement at this point and paying a bit of rent to my parents. Also, when I say great-aunt, Clara was the youngest of her siblings, and at this point of my life, she was only in her 50s. She was very active in helping with her household and taking care of me. So I don't want you to picture some poor old woman trying to offer emotional support to a traumatized teen and baking pies in the kitchen and all that. Clara was nothing like that. She was cocky, rude almost, direct. She didn't care for any argument or anything, she was straight to the point and honest, and was one of the happiest women you'd ever meet. She'd lovingly whack you with whatever she was holding, and she'd laugh about it. Around that time, I had made a decision many teenagers have made before. That's to say, I stayed up far too late. It was damn near 4am when I went to bed that night knowing full well I had classed the next day. I've got the lights off and I'm tucked in, but I can't get my eyes to close. Every time I shut them, they would slowly pop again as if little springs were pushing my eyelids apart. In frustration, I rolled over, facing the window, kicked around a little bit and tried to go back to sleep. But as my eyes kept closing and opening, I eventually caught some movement in the distance. Outside my window, something was coming up. And when I watched the slim, saggy figure climb over the fence between us and the neighbors, I felt the breath catch in my throat. It was in no rush as it approached our house but I wasn't going to sit and wait for it to walk up. I made my way downstairs, grabbed a knife from the kitchen and stood in front of the back door, shaking. I was going to kill it. I knew I was going to kill it, so why did I keep shaking? Why was I hesitating like this? I jumped a few times and slapped myself in the face as hard as I could before I finally whipped the door open and ran out onto my back porch with the knife pointed in front of me. There was nothing anywhere around me. The backyard was lit by our large porch light and I couldn't see anything moving. Anything that should have been there. I was so confused. I felt cheated and toyed with. There was a part of me that very much wanted to call out to it, to challenge it. But the rest of me echoed Clara's words, and I told myself I should be a good boy and get back inside. So I did. I put the knife against my leg and walked back into the house, making sure the door was locked tight. I walked over to the kitchen and put the knife away, then went back towards my room. As I did so, I noticed Clara's door was open up ahead. Her head was sticking out, eyes wide and fixed on me. What exactly do you think you're doing? She hissed at me as I made it to her door. I started to tell her I'd just been to the bathroom, but I saw the rage deepen on her face with each word, so I stopped. I seen it. I told her. She heaved a great big sigh and pushed my hair back. And you thought sword fighting it was a good idea, she said with a smirk before walking me up to my room. She pushed me into bed and fixed the blinds shut on the window, reminding me not to think about it, to not acknowledge it, and not to look at it. I was alright for the rest of the night. Woke up and struggled through a day of school on four hours of sleep and came home right away to start working on some project. I think I was building a model pyramid or something. My parents weren't back home from work yet, so it was just me and Clara in the house. I'm working away on my project when I hear, entirely unexpectedly, One of the water tap knobs in the bathroom started to turn, squeaking into life, and then the water was rushing into the sink. This is a closet sort of bathroom. Toilet and sink, that's it. No room for anything else. Can barely even turn in it. I just about pissed myself the second I heard that sound. My tap didn't drip. And while sure, a pipe could have burst somewhere, it didn't make sense that a busted line could turn one of the knobs slowly enough that it squeaks. I stood there completely frozen and realized I didn't have a lot of options. I could stand there forever. I could run out. Or I could go turn off the tap. I chose the latter. I went into the empty little bathroom, shut the water off, and went back to my project. But I do remember opening my bedroom door wide open in case I needed to make a quick getaway. A few minutes later, the tap squeaks into life again. Very calmly, I called out, Clara? As I set down whatever I was working on and made my way into the hallway, But before I could make it out of my room, the door slammed shut in my face. No longer calmly, I called out, Clara! Clara, I need help! I tried to open it, but the door wouldn't budge. It felt like it was part of the wall, like everything had melded together and it didn't matter how much I pulled. I heard footsteps coming up the hall, and I called out for Clara again. I'm here, I'm here, get away from the bloody door, she shouted, and the wall reverberated with the sound of her body slamming into it. The second I felt even a smidge of hope, I heard the bathroom door open behind me. It wasn't a slow, steady open, it whipped and slammed into the wall, and then closed just as aggressively, only to then whip open again. There was a pause in Clara's efforts as she too heard the bathroom door slamming. And then instead of knocking her body into the door, she started kicking it down. I once again found myself frozen in fear. But not only that, I felt watched. I felt something staring into the nape of my neck. I felt every hair on my body stand on end, and I was starting to go into what I think was shock. I did the stupid brave boy thing and I turned to look behind me, and there it was. Tall. Pale and sagging, all except its face. There were no features there, just the round sheet of skin that looked as though it was stretched taut all the way around its head. Its eyes were massive. At least half that sheet of skin of a face were these black, bulbous eyes. No mouth. No hair, no ears, no nose, just eyes. I started sobbing uncontrollably. I knew I was done for until the bedroom door burst open. And Clara rushed around the front of me and wrapped me up in her arms. It was gone. It had just vanished into thin air as soon as Clara appeared. I saw it too, honey. I saw it too. Clara said and cried as I cried. I started living in the living room after that. Homework in the kitchen, passed out on the couch, I just couldn't be in an enclosed space after what had just happened. I had so many exits with the living room, so many routes of escape, and Clara's room was close, so if I ever got really scared I knew she was nearby. After weeks of no peep out of place, I finally got the confidence to go back to my room. It took about a year of no sightings for me to just be myself again, and soon enough I was graduating. It was time for me to leave the nest, and despite feeling quite sad to leave my family behind, I was excited for the college campus experience. I can proudly say that nothing happened in my time at college. There was no paranormal bullshit, and I got to live a happy life with maybe a few too many mistakes because college. The Thanksgiving before my graduation, I'd gone back home to spend some time with the family and have everyone fawn over me and shower me with their love and all that good stuff. Instead when i got home i learned auntie clara was ill it was cancer she wasn't doing too well it was decided or rather i decided right then and there that i would be moving back with the family after my graduation i would take care of clara the same way she had taken care of me i had time I had so many years of my life left, and everything could wait while I helped her. By the time I returned in the summer, Clara had deteriorated. She and I joked that the radiation therapy was doing her worse than the cancer did. Life there was tumultuous, to say the least. I wasn't hiding, I wasn't scared, I was there for my auntie, but even my parents were mentioning odd things. They aren't my stories, but to make it brief, my father was pushed off a ladder, my mother was pushed down the stairs, they've both been locked in rooms, heard knocking and footsteps through the house, and they finally said they believe me. It wasn't everything, of course. But it felt good to be validated. I felt closer to my parents after that because, even though they didn't experience everything, I didn't have to be alone anymore. This one evening, pretty close to Christmas I believe, I had just given Clara her pain medication and I was having a cup of tea beside her while she fell asleep. Sometimes this was easy. Other times, it took hours and hours. She'd have to go throw up multiple times. She'd sweat through everything and have to get changed. This night had been one of the more difficult ones. I sat there beside her until she was asleep. Then I grabbed our dishes and headed to the kitchen. I had the lights on in the living room and the kitchen. I think something was playing on the TV while I was doing the dishes. And as I glanced over at the stove, I saw the time was well past 2am. All I know is, I was thinking, nothing good ever happens after 2am. That line kept playing in my head as I put the dishes on the drying rack. Charlie! I heard Clara call so I dried off my hands and headed back to her room to see what it was she needed. Only, Clara was sleeping. She was out like a light. She must have called my name out in her sleep. I told myself, and turned to head out of the room. That's when I saw a shadow pass in front of her door and towards the back of the house. I stopped dead in my tracks. I was in utter disbelief. I stepped out into the hallway, turned my head to my left and saw the lights in the kitchen and living room were flickering. I turned my head to the right and proceeded down the hallway towards the back of the house. It was dead quiet. I didn't hear any footsteps, breathing, creaking, I didn't hear anything. I was on a wild goose chase because I'd seen some shadow. I felt stupid. I checked the back door, made sure it was locked, and made my way back to the front of the house where I decided to sit down and watch some TV. I wasn't tired. I had a bit of an adrenaline rush, and the options were watch some TV and calm down, or go outside on the porch in the cold of dead-ass winter and have a smoke. So I'm lying down on the couch, mindlessly watching whatever was playing, when all of a sudden I hear three thundering bangs on the front door. Not like knocks. It was more like someone took a battering ram to the door. I jumped off the couch and ran down the hall to check on the door, but there wasn't a crack in it. Our front door is not anything special or nothing. It's just a wooden front door. And from what I heard happen, it should have been busted to smithereens. I didn't know what to make of that. I didn't know what to do about that, but I looked up at the glass siding of the door frame, which in hindsight should have also been shattered. But for some reason, I felt compelled to look up. There was the shadow of a person there, or the shape of a person. The glass is heavily frosted, so all anyone could see would be filled-in outlines of whomever was at the door. So I could tell real easy that someone was there. When I recognized that there was something there in the porch light, the door started banging again. The noise was so loud, I didn't understand how nobody else was waking up. And the damn thing was rattling in the frame right in front of me. I stared at it, helpless for a second, then I decided to slam my body into it to hold it in place. I pushed with all my might and started shouting for my dad. The old man had no fear in him. I heard him thundering down the stairs, and when I caught sight of him he was in his boxers and pajama shirt and holding a shotgun. He gestured with his head for me to get away from the door, and then he whipped it open Shotgun at the ready. Nothing. No one in the light. No one was running away down the street. Not a peep out of the cold night. Dad closed the door and looked at me. At least once a week, this shit happens, he said with a heavy sigh. Then we sat on the couch together, neither able to sleep after that roller coaster. Auntie Clara lost her battle with cancer. It was as though nothing was working, as though she had already given up. I don't judge her. It's just that her loss was something I never recovered from. If I'd have to choose between my mother and Clara, I would have run to Clara every time. I'm sorry to admit that, Nobody's perfect. But Clara was there to pick up the pieces and make up for whatever anyone lacked. And that means a lot to a kid. To a scared kid. To a scared teenager. And she's gone. She's fucking gone. I went back to school. Got my master's. Got a job. Met a girl. Moved out. Started a life. The years passed by and I was so focused on my own life that I didn't really go back to see my family for a while. It helped that we practically lived across the continent from each other, so I didn't even have to bother for excuses. The distance was excuse enough. The distance on both ends was excuse enough. When I was 33, I proposed to Sierra. And not even a few months after that, we found out we were pregnant. That was the best news I'd had since she said yes to me. Which hadn't been that long ago, but you get it. We wanted to celebrate. We wanted to share. And all said and done, it was finally time to introduce my family to us. Middle of summer, we fly over to Ohio. Neither of us knowing what to expect neither of us knowing who was more nervous. When my dad opened the door, he started crying. He held me so tight I was struggling to breathe, and we both just cried. My mom was loving and welcoming to Sierra. I could tell she missed me, but just didn't quite know how to express it. Anyway, enough of my family drama, none of that is the point. This was after dinner that same day. Mom and Sierra were inside having a cup of tea, and Dad asked me to have a beer with him, so we popped out onto the backyard. Each with a smoke, each with a beer. We sat out there and stared down the fields. We started talking about how his life had been. How my life had been. I was excited talking to him about the future I saw with Sierra, and he was excited in turn. We were laughing when we saw a figure approach slowly through the fields. Neither of us could see any details at all, not until its head and chest were clearly visible. It was pale, skinny, and saggy. Its eyes were black and bulbous, and it was staring right at us. I looked at my dad. His eyes were fixed on this creature. ''Bud, you better head on inside. Get a gun,'' he muttered to me. ''What exactly do you think you're gonna be doing?'' I retorted. ''Stand watch.'' Those were my father's words. ''Stand watch.'' It was then that it dawned on me that this white thing wasn't haunting me. Not really. It was haunting my dad. He'd had ages of living with it, of knowing it. I bolted inside and ran upstairs to find his shotgun. Then I headed back to the backyard as quick as I could. By the time I got down the stairs, I heard the same battering noise as I had before. Except my dad was still out there. I was angry. I was furious. I didn't feel an ounce of fear as I flew through that goddamn door and pointed the shotgun all around me. Nothing. No creature. Only Dad and his beer. Only Dad and his beer. I put the gun down and knelt down beside him. Everything all right, old man? I asked him, and he nodded his head eyes still fixed on the fields. By the time Sierra gave birth to our first boy, my dad was diagnosed with stage 4 throat cancer. He died six months later. By the time I was 35, my mother, living alone, had suffered a stroke and eventually died on her own at the house. I believe whatever that thing was haunted them to death. It took the lives of three people, with no reason to have suffered the way they did. We sold the house and washed our hands of it. We moved to Washington and bought our own place, big enough to have room for the kids. But I'm scared now. I'm fucking terrified. Our eldest, Alistair, has been having awful nightmares. He's been telling me he sees this white, tall, skinny thing, that it has big black eyes. It found us, somehow, and I don't know what it is. I don't know what to do. Despite being haunted my whole life, I never really had much to do with the paranormal. I'm not as smart as some people out there, so please, if you're hearing my story, for the love of God, please help me. I don't want to lose my boys like I lost my parents. How do I get rid of this creature? Please. I have no words, Charles. I'm so deeply sorry for your struggle, and to our listeners, I... apologize if the audio is distorted. I couldn't help but cry at various points of this story. I am heartbroken, and I deeply wish that I could give you the right words. I would say at this point, I would start reaching out to paranormal societies in your city or state, or even just reaching out to a society that has a lot of experience. Given enough evidence, they will travel to investigate at no cost to you. I don't want to give you negligent advice or say anything that could directly harm you, so I ask that you dig deep into anything you see online for a credence before you engage with anyone saying, do this or do that. But for what it's worth, I will pray for you. I wish you the best in your search and I promise to share anything I hear with you. To our wonderful travelers, if you have any advice, or if you've heard of a similar haunting, please let me know so I can pass those messages along to Charles. If you have a story of your own, don't hesitate to submit it to spectralsojourns at gmail.com or get in touch with us on our Instagram or Facebook at Spectral Sojourns. Don't forget to give us a like, follow, and subscribe so you're the first to know when another episode launches. Now, as we bid you farewell, dear travelers. Let tonight's tale be a reminder that the boundary between horror and reality is but a fragile thread, ready and willing to unravel. Tread softly as you emerge from the abyss, and may the whispers of this spectral sojourn haunt your dreams till next we meet. Sleep well, if you can.